Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Descriptions for Authors podcast. Today, we have RJ Blaine with us, who is actually the most successful urban fantasy author in subscriptions in the world. That's right. RJ Blaine is crushing it. She's got three subscriptions, all serving different segments of her audience, and put together, they make nearly six figures a year, which is just incredible. So this episode, you're going to learn a lot about how to succeed with subscriptions and if you want to start a subscription yourself, uh, you should do it on Ream. Ream is a subscription platform by fiction authors for fiction authors. And if you're looking to set up to be able to connect with your audience, build a CUNY of your readers, then there's no better place than Ream. In fact, you can even reach new readers through discovery on the Ream platform. So you can create a free account down below. And I'm very, very excited for it. So hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. Let us know what you learned. We'd love to see you post in the Facebook group. If you learned something from RJ Blaine, if you learned something from this episode, we want to hear from you. And if you haven't yet been acquainted with all the Scripts for Others content, we'd also love to see you join us on our mailing list where you get a free book and you get to access to tons of amazing resources like our fireside chats, like our Subscriptions for Others pricing calculator, industry report, all this amazing stuff. But for now, we're going to get into this conversation between me, Amelia, and of course, our special guest, RJ, RJ, I'm very excited to chat with you because you have a subscription set up that most authors listening when I say this will feel their heart race. It'll, it'll jump because they'll be like, how are you doing that? You have three separate Patreons, all of which yep. are quite successful. They all do very well. Walk me through when you started the first one and at which point you were in in your author career? What was that point where you're like, oh, I'm going to set up a subscription now? Oh, this actually starts a few years ago when Patreon was brand new. I tried and failed at a Patreon. I just didn't have the attention span for it and I didn't have the audience for it. I'm just going to establish right now, if you're a new author and you start a Patreon, don't expect very much. It grows as you grow. And that is the most important thing you need to remember before you like look at me and go, oh, copy. Like, by all means, copy. I don't mind. I don't mind at all. The way I do it is I have so many different audiences and everybody has different needs. So my three Patreons reflect the different needs of my segments of audience. Some people want the whole shebang. And that's what I started with. The core of what I do is I write books. I wanted to give people who kept asking me, can I do anything for you off of Amazon or off of Barnes and Nobles or Kobo or Apple Books or Google Play? We don't talk about Google Play. (laughs) We're having a fight right now. But the big thing is my audience kept asking me, do you have a donation box? Do you have anything we can do to support you as a writer? And I'm like, oh, there's... Patreon? I suppose I could do that. So I fished around on Facebook and asked if there was any interest. And five or ten people said, yeah, there's interest. And I went, you know what? It's easy. And if it makes five or ten people happy, why not? So I dove in, set up the first one, which is the you get everything. It's not monthly tiers, you pay by month. And I was like, okay, I can do read-alongs, like backlist read-alongs. I can do short stories and basically behind the scenes stuff on the books that you don't get from the retail copies. 
or you don't even get from me on Facebook. You sometimes get it on my website, but unique content too that I can do in my spare time. So I was like, okay, I, I flung that at them. And then the next thing I knew I had 150 subscribers and I went, what? <laughs> so it took me completely off guard. So it evolved. The first re reiteration of it, I didn't do all that great of a job setting it up because I didn't know what I needed. It's okay to experiment and it's okay to change things. So if you don't get it right the first time, just tell your readers, okay, I'm changing this for this reason and then make the change. As long as you're communicating with them what you need to do and why you need to do it, they're usually really happy. If they're not, they'll just drop and that's okay because if they're that upset over something as little as I need to change frequency of posting, you don't want them on your Patreon in the first place. Yeah. You want people who are friendly, nice. You want people who aren't going to get upset if plans change. So I try to set mine up in such a way where it was as hands-off as possible while I'm able to engage as much as possible. Mm -hmm. There's a trick to that. Uh, I love that word, hands-off as possible, but engage as much as possible. I love that way of framing it. it it's, I love engaging with my readers, but it can be a huge time sink. You need to plan, okay, I have an hour I can sacrifice a week to just engagement. If your hour towards engagement involves an hour and a half of admin work to make it happen, you're losing time, you're losing money, you're not able to write books efficiently. So what I've done is when I'm not really social, I will go into my Patreon and schedule my posts in advance. I do everything. I don't have a PA do it. It's Every time I post something, my readers know it's me doing the work. So they know that engagement is directly with me. They do know I sometimes schedule things because time is limited. But when they see a comment from me, when they see a post from me, they know it's from me. Readers have learned PAs exist and do this for authors. Fastest way you drop an audience is to have the PA do the engagement. They don't like it. They don't appreciate it. They want to be talking with you. The only time I've seen this actually work is Patricia Briggs. Her assistant openly posts. What's your man? Lan's doing the posting. If Patricia shows up, you know it's her because she doesn't sign it as Anne. So the reader's expectations are clearly laid out. If she shows up, she doesn't. I don't think I've seen her show up more than like once in the past couple of years. But she will write the post and then Anne will post it on her behalf. They're paying to have access to you. So you have to make sure that you're accessible. That does mean scheduling an hour or two a week to go through and make sure your posts are up. Make sure you're commenting. When somebody has a question or sends you a message, you do need to take the time to answer them. I have noticed if you go, if you message me, I'm a squirrel. I may not see it. They're okay with that. As long as you're up front and you tell them you're a squirrel and you forget the messages. I'm a squirrel. Yeah. I'm a squirrel. So what ended up happening with splitting into three Patreons is that I have a segment of readers who wants to just fling money at me. They're your best readers. You want to have these small core readers. They will follow you everywhere and they will support you. Even if they don't want to read that specific book. I don't understand that personally, but hey, it's great. <laughs> and it supports me, lets me write. 
Yeah. I do it too, actually. <laughs> There's a lot of books I own on my Kindle that I'm not going to read. This is too traumatic for me. Mm. But I buy the books anyway because I want those authors to keep writing. Yeah. So if I buy those books I don't want, they have the money to write the books I do want. So I put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. In the case of the monthly Patreon, because I call them monthly per novel and per short story. You have the three so different setups. I have the three different setups. The per monthly is they get everything. If I do a short story, they get it. If I do a novel that's not an anthology or collection or published through somebody else, they get it. I do have a few limitations on the per novel, but when a story comes up, this isn't included, they know. I'm like, heads up, you have to go to retail for this. All of my short story collections, all of my anthologies are never on the Patreon. Sometimes they're published to another publisher and I don't have rights. So that's how that started. In the case of the Patreon, I also, the per month, they get the test drive stuff. So I'm like, I'm not sure if this pilot's going to work. Here's a chapter. What do you think? The higher tiers get access to this is experimental. Is it working? Is it not working? Do you like it? And they'll yeah. get read-alongs of unpublished stuff that hasn't been edited, full of mistakes. They love that. All subscribers on the per-monthly right now are following Shattered Flame, which I'm a photographer as well. I'm not like a photographer. I'm like, it's my hobby. I do it for fun with a camera that costs way too much. <laughs> But I post a picture that I took and I make a little note about the picture, where it came from or why I like it. And then I have the author's note above the chapter about what I was thinking or was I having a dinner date with the devil when I wrote it. The latest one was definitely a dinner date with the devil as I wrote it. <laughs> Sorry, readers. That's just how that one works. So it's very much, I get that engagement with them. They get to see the back behind the scenes stuff. And we go through memory lane. So the readers who have been with me a long time haven't read the book in a few years. And so we do read-alongs. It's supposed to be weekly, but with I have seasonal depression and it's been raining here in California for months. <laughs> so I'm just clawing my way out right now. And so my schedule's been screwed up. And then I'm going to Sydney in the beginning of June for a signing. So nice. I have to stuff up beforehand. So that'll be interesting. I'm going to be like, what is time and how does it work? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out the scheduling because time in California is not time in Australia. No, no. Oh, I'm feeling that. I just came back from Australia and me and my <laughs> husband, our time is messed up still. I'm going to be there for three weeks. Oh. <laughs> my time's really going to be confused. Like I'll get there, be there a week. Oh, now I'm in Australia time. Come back and we teleport back in time to get here. So we leave later in the day than we arrive. I'm not really sure how this time warp works, but we're, we arrive really early in the morning and we left closer towards the afternoon in Australia. And I'm like, wow, that plane is quick. <laughs> it goes zoom. <laughs> yeah, that's going to make my Patreon interesting because at the same time I'm traveling, I'm preparing a book for publication. Mistakes are made. That's all I have to say. I'm the one making them. And it's been just the past two months have been just mistake after mistake. It, so, yeah. There's 
you just delivered like so much subscription knowledge. Wow. First of all, like you are incredible. Like you just have so much knowledge. And I, I think framing your subscription. So one thing that stuck out to me, because you're being like just so honest and open with us. And I can already tell you, you are that way with your readers. I was reading your short story about you section to the subscription. And on that page, I believe you have- I don't uh, even know what's oh, uh, oh, I'm now gonna unearth something. Okay, well, yes. I, this yeah, is I'm fun, this will be fun. So it's the fantasy, just so y'all know, RJ's Patreons will all be linked in the descriptions. The three of them will be linked. And the one that I'm looking at right now is called the Fantasy Worlds of RJ Blaine. So you're creating fiction and short stories and you have, I believe, four tier levels. So you've got a dollar and a $2 one, and then a $5 and a $10 one. and First of all, I love how like the dollar and $2 tiers are exactly the same. They just, if they want to pay you more, they can. And then the $5 and $10 tiers, you, you get a little bit more at $5, but they're still the same. Yep. It's basically at the request of my readers. I thought $1 is not enough. I'm like, really? I was just going to make everything a dollar. And I was like, okay, here you go. It's all a dollar. Do what you want. And they yelled at me. <laughs> I got yelled at. The original intent for the short story Patreon was everything was a dollar. But then I opened my mouth and I said, I could have the kitties write a micro short story for you. Yes, and you like, said I will throw money at you. I'm like, the cats would love to tell you about how bad of a human I am. Sure, we'll do this. Yeah, so you have so much. Oh. I love this. Yeah, yeah. So you have your two short stories, you have your short story and you have your two tiers, the $1 and $2 that just get the short story. And then if you upgrade to $5 or $10, they both get this extra benefit. You get the, like the micro flash fiction written it by your cats. Maybe 15 words. It's like a haiku. It is a haiku <laughs> about awesome. how I suck or I didn't scoop their litter box sufficiently yesterday or something. It's whatever mood my cat is in. So I have two cats. I have Zazzle and I have Princess. Zazzle's 14 to 16 pounds of what the hell actually happened here. She was supposed to be small. We picked this cat up when she was six months old. She was, looked small. <laughs> looked small. She weighed in at seven pounds. I'm like, okay, six months, she's going to grow one or two more pounds and we're going to call it a day. Most cat breeds, you get them at six to seven months and they've done the bulk of their growing. Wrong. <laughs> We think she's got Ragdoll or Maine Coon in her somewhere because this is a big cat. She's just massive. And she's not fat massive. She's, I have a primordial pouch, but I'm actually a pretty sleek cat. I just have bulky sides because some cats just do. She's a tiny bit overweight, but not to the, she's just, she's 30 something inches long. <laughs> Princess. That's a big cat. 15 inches long. That's one of the cats in your fantasy worlds. Like, we're getting to that size. Yeah, we're getting into... We wanted a tiny cat. What's <laughs> <called> Zazzle? <laughs> because we, my husband's cat, Tia, passed away. Oh. And I dragged him to the shelter the next morning. Because Princess needed a friend and oh, he needed yeah. to not dig his heels in. We introduced ourselves to every single cat in that shelter. Zazzle and five other kittens were in the sick cat room. They had rhino and were spreading it to themselves. So the shelter has, okay, these cats are sick, but you can go visit them. We sanitize before you go in, etc. So my husband's trying to decide how to adopt three tuxedos 
who just swarmed him. So he's, can we take all three? I'm like, no. They're really cute, but we can't take all three. And then the super shy Zazzle comes out and just flings herself over his feet, wraps herself around his leg, and just snuggles up, I love you. And he's looking at the cat, looking at me, and I'm like, why don't you just go get the cat carrier, honey? <laughs> and so that's the story of how Zazzle charmed her way into our house. Now she's in the aloof, rules everything, and there we have it. Zazzle's the talker of the Patreon. So if you see a short story, it's coming from Zazzle. So I look at what Zazzle's doing that day and what kind of mood Zazzle is in, and that is what those subscribers get. Zazzle's trouble. She's 16 pounds of trouble. So they get the cat talking smack. And the readers love it. I don't pull them out very much right now because I just, it's really hard to write as the cats. And. <laughs> So they're going to get a surprise when the cats show up after Australia, because they're going to. They're not going to be happy we left them for so long. We're hiring a house sitter to watch the cats for us, so at least they won't be going into boarding this time. They will get to stay home and be pampered. So lucky them. I want to be pampered. But yeah, the kitties rule the show. They don't show up often, but when they do, the readers love it. So I reserve the cats for when I'm in trouble. I'm late with something or <laughs> uh, it's a very good get out of jail card. So yeah. Okay. Here you go. I have some cats. <laughs> here you go. You like the kitties. Don't get mad at me, please. But yeah. So the short stories were actually separated out because the people who wanted the per novel Patreon didn't want to have to subscribe to the monthly to get the short stories. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to fling it up here. Anything I get off the short story goes to camera gear or vacations or fun stuff. So everyone who goes there knows if I make money off of that Patreon, it's getting wasted on fun stuff. I will buy craft supplies. I'll buy camera stuff. I will buy ice cream. <laughs> Whatever my little heart wants, that money is for that. I haven't been writing many short stories at recent. It's been a dry well of short stories, actually. Sad does that. I have to be in a good mood for short stories or it just don't happen. Novels I can be in any mood in. I can jump ahead a couple of chapters and torture some characters if needed. But with a short story, I have to write them in order of when the story happens, how it happens, or I just go, <clears throat> brain explodes. I had to write short stories for 101 Ways to Die. And I'm almost done. I'm on the last one. And it's only taken me a week to do five. So that's actually not bad. Yeah. Hooray. Hooray for me. I was worried about that because I haven't written a short story in six months. I'm like, okay. All right. Let's see if I remember how to do this. No, I don't. And so there we have it. During that break too, because your short story Patreon, that's like per short story. So those readers just weren't charged during that break. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So that's the whole difference between the branching. The per month is I have to always do content because they're paying every month. But the $10 plus tiers get a copy of the novels a couple of days before retail release. Same schedule as the per novel Patreon. They get the read-alongs. They get Q&A sessions where I just, okay, ask me stuff. And I'll either reply by comment or I will make a big Q&A answer post, depending on my mood at the time. That's awesome. I kind of prefer the comments nowadays because it's I can engage 
in microbytes, where in yeah. the previous way I have to try to dig through, get all the comments out, format them. So I'm now just doing the more direct engagement approach. So questions get repeated, but that's fine. I can just copy paste. <laughs> if I get the same exact question, I copy paste. I ain't even like, I copy this from above. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah. Or I will link to where the answer to the question is, depending on how lengthy the reply is. Sometimes if a question is really, oh, I want to talk about this, I will post it on the blog and then I'll come back to the Patreon and go, okay, here's a post about it. Uh, okay. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes a question will just be that good and it'll go right to the blog. I'm starting to move. I haven't had time to do any posts about the writing industry lately. But I try to cross-post those to Patreon and my blog, so everybody has it. I know there's some authors who follow me for that reason. Mm. I haven't done hardly anything with that lately. Been too tired and too busy. I put too much on the plate is what happened here. I have a novel coming out next week. I have one coming out June 2nd. I have one mm. coming out July 25th. And then I jumped to November. Okay. And there may be something in between that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. So there's something in there. It's a busy next couple of months for you, without a doubt, which makes me even more grateful to have you here with us today. And speaking of all the things you have on your plate, managing three subscriptions. You know, the when we talk about subscriptions, a lot of authors are like, should I set one up for my pen names? Which technically your novel subscription is an all-in-one for your different pen names. But you also have like kind of these three separate patrons for your one RJ yeah, Blaine pen name. I have pen names now or something like that. I have five. How are you, I'll just ask both questions. How are you managing all five pen names to begin with? And then when it comes to managing three subscriptions, a lot of authors are like, should I just combine all my different pen names onto one page? So you only have one page. Obviously for you, you have different billing systems. So I, I there's so much to dive into here, but talk to me about the multiple pages. This is good. Okay, so where's the best place to start? I'm going to start with managing all the pen names. So for some people, I'm Bernadette Franklin, and they're reviewing R.J. Blaine books. Like, they're talking about Bernadette Franklin books. I'm like, that's cute. That's really cute, actually. I have Susan Copperfield. I, I found her as Susan Copperfield, or I found her as Bernadette Franklin, or I found her as, well, R.J. Blaine, and I'm on my contemporary romantic comedy pen name. Uh, so it, it's a double-edged sword at times, but if you have readers who just want to read your books and you hide your pen names from those readers, they're not going to buy the books because they're not sure who this new pen name is, etc. You start from scratch. So unless you have a real good reason to hide it, I wouldn't hide it. I know there are some authors that hide it because they feel they've lost the chance with the reader the first time and they want a fresh chance. The reality is when a reader doesn't like a book, they forget they don't like it. You get plenty of more chances later on. You don't have to really worry about that. They have an attention span of maybe a month. I can't remember any of the authors I didn't like really unless the book was just that bad and I wrote it down. And for a book to be that bad for me, it has to have no editing done on it whatsoever or the character is only strong because she was raped. I hate that trip. I hate that trip. So I write down when an author does that a lot. And then I just don't read them. 
not my taste. So, yeah, that's about... It's... Don't reinvent the wheel, please. Just, it's okay. Readers don't have that big of an attention span. Here's a fun statistic from Amazon. In the KU program, the reason they say publish every two to three weeks is because a reader has a three-week attention span. They will forget about you within three weeks and you have to start the advertising over again. If you don't keep feeding them within that three-week window in KU, they drop right away. Like, it is literally a cliff. So that's why they're rapid release in the KU, because reader statistics say after three weeks, they forget about you. But hmm. you will hold their attention for three weeks. And in wide, like I publish, it's actually true. You can, I can see it every single release. Three-week window, boom. So how a release works is you have the release day sales up to here. And then it goes like this. It's a very constant downward arc. And the three-week mark goes, just drops right off the cliff. Mm. There's that little cliff there, three, four weeks. The hype is gone. The readers have forgotten about the book. They have moved on. They're not talking about it to their friends anymore. So every book release, and I've done like 60 of them now, it's consistent. Three weeks, boom. Three weeks, boom. When you're not rapid releasing, I don't rapid release. I accidentally rapid released. I'm like, what have I done? I had a release on April 28th, May 16th. Happy birthday to me. I'm stupid and release a book on my birthday every year. I'm just stupid and I do it. Don't ask me why. And then June 2nd. This is the definition of rapid release. But to be fair to me, I hadn't released a book since December. And that was launching a new pen name. I think my previous release was October or something like that. And that was an anthology. So I have actually been just laying low and writing books, not releasing books. Now I'm in this eight month marathon of why. I'm curious with, cause I think it's really interesting to be talking about like the reader attention span, but when you're doing things like weekly chapter read alongs in your subscription. Resets. Yeah. Resets. Yep. So how has that helped you? retain and build a strong relationship with your core fans like how has your subscription done that it doesn't do anything i'm sorry but the subscription i can go to, i have gone i have to drop for two months i will be back sweethearts to whatever you want drop i'll have very basic stuff for you but i am drowning didn't lose a single subscriber they're there because they want to be there the rules don't apply to your core readers they are, they're the people who, they don't care if you only give them a book once a year. They don't care if you give them a book every six years. They're going to stick with you thick and thin. Those are your core readers. Most authors don't have a huge number of core readers. But I can name an author who does. Alona Andrews. They're a husband and wife team. Andrews has the book Devouring Horde. She has a very solid core of group of core readers. They congregate on their website and they use their website as a way of engaging with their community. And they're brilliant at it. They're absolutely brilliant. They feed their horde daily, basically. Like they, and they have a moderator who is openly the moderator. Alona, Alonia, Alona, the wife of the pairing, I believe is the one who typically does the posts. 
and is much quieter. You see him sometimes, but he's usually only there when they're doing a like video together. But they do it brilliantly. They just engage with their community and they have a huge number of core readers. Goals, that's what they are, their goals. In my case, I have a very small number of core readers, but I engage with them and they engage back. I would say my core readership across all my Patreons is something like 400 people, 500 people. It's, fu it's funny you call that small. Most authors would dream to have a core readership of that size. So I'm going to dig in some more statistics for you because I love statistics. Um, yeah. Most books don't sell more than 100 copies. There was recently a lawsuit involving the big name publishers and most of their titles that they have acquired. And like we're talking the big five or four or however many of them are left. Four now. Or They're trying to become. They merge one of them, two of them merge together. And now I'm like, yeah, it's no. Penguin Random House. They want to become three now. That's what this whole thing was about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And yeah, that lawsuit had some really good numbers. And it's numbers we've always suspected, but we never had access to. But the most books only sell 100 copies is dead accurate. 500 copies is you're doing really good. It puts into perspective USA Today before it went defunct, though. To make USA Today, I have had books that have sold 5,500 5, copies miss the list, to give you an idea. And you have to sell all those copies within a week. I did it by pre but I've also done it in blitz sales, too. It's hard. It's really hard. And a lot of people rat on the groups to get together and do it. But it's hard. Like, doing it by yourself is insane. It is insane. If you see an author who's made USA Today, they are a brilliant in marketing, write real damn good books. You have to write those real damn good books, though, if you want to make USA Today, especially if it's not a pre-order. They, if they're buying blind and you make USA Today, that is a hell of an achievement. Doesn't matter if you're one person, doesn't matter if you're 20, because you have to convince readers to confidently buy on something they can't see a preview of the product. But when you think about it that way, it's really, it, this is one of the hardest careers you can subject onto yourself. It's, it takes passion, it takes knowledge, it takes skill. It takes determination. It takes money. My latest release coming out on the 16th, I've dumped like $7,000 into this book so far. And I ain't done spending yet. <laughs> I ain't done spending yet. I will make a profit on it, but this book was expensive because it's 145,000 words long. Oh, so the editing, yep, yep. Editing, the audio. Print editions, the, spe the advertising, because I will be doing some advertising on this. Not a whole lot. It's so deep into the series that it's hard to advertise. Yeah. You're mainly advertising your existing readers. You're mainly trying to get people who may have fallen off on book three, maybe to come back in. Hey, there's a new one out. Keep, finish it. Yeah. It does help that I've announced when the series is ending. There's a whole trend of where if you're deep into a long series and they're not sure how many books are left, they get uncomfortable. They don't want to necessarily buy unless they're really interested in that title. And then they'll wait until the final book is dropped and then buy everything. This is a pretty well-known syndrome. Death kiss to many a series. 
I can think of numerous series that I bought loyally, but no one else did. And then you can't blame the publishers for dropping it. In my case, I'm doing it because I really want to, and I would just pillage the money from the other series to continue in cases like this. The My Vigilante Magical Librarian series is getting pillaged from other series to pay for it because the sell-through rate was garbage. It happens. If I were a traditional publisher, it would have been cut off at the second book. But I'm not, so I can finish the whole five series as, five book series as planned. But the investments are quite up there. This is, it's yeah. brutally hard. It's brutally hard. I got insanely lucky and I'm one of those people where I'm not insanely lucky. I just threw a lot of money at the problem. I learned from my mistakes. I learned a lot from my mistakes, a lot of mistakes. If I had to pick a mistake, it was actually doing a USA Today run as a group. It doesn't help you. The no. title does you no good unless you earned it yourself. I know people are so in love with the title, but you're not getting the readers off of the group activities unless you're like four or five people. And then people will tend to read the entire anthology. But really what happens with most anthologies I've been in is the readers buy the anthology for the one or two authors they really want to read in that anthology. Some will read all of them. Very few jump ship. I've done this experiment enough times, but it's played out the same way every single time. The two times I did novel length features in a group, I was running tracking links on everything I did to promote it. And we were given the numbers of the sales and I pulled down a quarter of the sales for both sets and that was tracked sales so when you run affiliate tracking links they don't give you credit for every single sale it's usually 50 percent less than what i actually bring in can be quarter to 50 percent depending on the source because what they do is if they determine that a friend of yours clicked the link you don't get credit for it so if they have a known relationship like they track through facebook so Amazon and Facebook have a relationship. They go, does this advertiser know this person? And they'll go, yes, doesn't count. So the tracking links are only as good as the new people you reach with them. So in this case, I brought in a quarter of the leads of people I didn't know. So that's actually a really solid number, but I invested a lot of money to make that happen. And I'm glad I did it. I'm glad for those who feel they got something out of doing the sets. But I quickly learned that I didn't have value from it until I earned it myself. Uh, nope. That's when I started making the real money. The first run I did by myself on a sales, that's where the money came from. Because they're buying that book just for me, just for that book. Then they're more likely to buy through the rest of my books. And I invested $20,000 on that run. Wow. And I made over $80,000 as well. Well, it's a good return. <laughs> it's a good return. The return was great. The return was great. On the two runs I did as group anthologies, large scale group anthologies, I think there's 20 to 25 people in those sets. I invested ten to 15000 each, earned back 1500 Ooh. Yeah, not a so good return. It was no return. It was losses. No, that's yeah, it's it not, it's not good. I got a few readers out of it. 
but not to the level of what they tend to pitch. Oh, let's do this wholesale thing as an anthology. Save the money and do your own do your own advertising. Yeah. Then you have a better chance of better returns and you're cultivating readers who are there because they want to read your book. They're not there because they want to read like in the, in the anthology set. They're not there because they want to read my book or the, another person's book in the set. I've had a successful set. I curated the Dirty Deeds anthologies. We did two of them. And we actually did great sharing with each other because we all brought in our fan bases and we made the efforts of going why we liked everybody else in the set. So because we're vouching for everybody else who was in the set, we were sharing what everybody else was doing. We all benefited. We did those for fun though. We didn't really do those to yeah. hit. We hit on the first the first one. Two of the ladies didn't have their letters yet. And we were like, we're having fun and we're close. So let's advertise release week. So we did and we got lucky and we hit. It was very much a, let's see if this works at the very last minute. So I'm like, I didn't study for this test. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's the money we're going to spend. We all decide as a group. And then we were like, okay, let's try it. And we tried it. And then the second anthology is, we're just here to have some fun. Make a little bit of money, have some fun. Continue on for one last hip hip raw. And so we did. And it was great fun. We didn't list, but it was also a Scholastic Book Week. <laughs> yeah. We a lot of sales to hit on a Scholastic Book Week. Usually around 7,500 if mm. you're going on a Scholastic Book Week. I have hit on a Scholastic Book Week though. I don't know how, but I did once. I'm like, oh, I found out. Oh, it's Scholastic Book Week. I'm screwed. So would you and, say it was like going for these US Today best-selling lists? That, what, what is, after all these experiments that you've run, all these trials and errors, what was the thing that was able to get you your fan base? The, there's obviously multiple things, but was it this list strategy when it was just you going for it that worked? The I group ones that bad? Did work. That did work fantastically well. Don't get me wrong. That is a very solid strategy to establishing a pen name or establishing a main brand. If you have the ten dollars to $20,000 and you take the time to learn how to run a Facebook ad, experiment at like $5. If you can't get your CPC to $0.15, cents, you probably don't want to throw the money away. If your books are consistently well-reviewed and rated, if you have a decent sell-through, and you're wide, then doing the listing strategy is fantastic because those are the kind of readers that buy wide books. I don't know much about the KU strategy. It's not something I've done since 2017. And I found out I don't write the right type of book for KU. I don't have the angst and drama and I don't write cliffhangers. And those things help make KU books sell really well. So in my case, it was very strange. I got frustrated with KU because my sales were low and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go wide and start over. It turns out my core readers were reading in KU when they were buying book buyers. So I pulled the plug on all my KU books, put them wide, and then released the second magical romantic comedy book. And it sold really well. And I went, what, what's going on here? I got very confused because it just overnight exploded. 
I went from wow. earning less than a thousand dollars a month to five to ten thousand dollars a month. Just that's a big shift. Wow. Just like whatever. I was just from going to, wide. Just from going wide. Because I present like a traditionally published author. Traditionally published readers aren't KU readers for the most part. They're used to buying their books. They're used to checking out who's the publisher, who like looking at the samples. They really don't like typos. They don't like grammar errors. So I was presenting more like a traditionally published author because that's how I learned to write. I had wanted originally to go traditional. I had some bites, but my husband was like, take a shit or get off the pot. And I'm like, hey, let's go. Give me some money. <laughs> I wasn't working at the time. I've been laid off. And he's like, okay, here's some seed money. Go play. And it ended up working out. The first few years were hard because I think it took me three years to get momentum. But I learned a lot in those three years. So they're mandatory. It's very hard before that first book you publish to really understand what's involved with writing a good book. What is going to make the difference between a struggling author and a successful author is the struggling author will write books, but they're not writing books to with the intent of trying to write a better book than the last one they wrote. That's really hard. Like I put a lot of pressure on myself because I want to entertain my readers. So when I'm writing and publishing a book, that's always at the forefront of mine. How can I make the book experience even better? And there are times where I don't succeed at this whatsoever, but I'm always trying. I'm always trying to make sure fewer typos than in the previous book. I don't give a rat's ass if a reader doesn't like regionalism. They can call it a grammar error if they want, but if a character's from the South, that character's dropping to be, and I don't particularly care if the reader doesn't like it. That's how the character would speak, or that's how their narrative would sound. I try to keep true to the characters in each one. I don't like self-inserting stuff. Food and cars I destroy. Those are the things I self-insert. If you see a character going after tacos, I was either eating a taco or I wanted a taco. I'm not even lying. Chicken nuggets. I did self-insert one thing in a book because it was just too funny not to. When I was little, I got a raw chicken nugget from McDonald's and got salmonella poisoning. I put that in a book <laughs> because it was horrible. And I'm like, oh, this is a great way to torture this character. This fits really well in this book. I'm sorry, Ginger, but you're getting salmonella and we're going to have fun with this. Because, you know, I didn't have to research jack shit to know what happened with that. <laughs> I knew exactly <laughs> how it was playing out. It was miserable. It was miserable. And I enjoyed making that character suffer. I'm like, ah, that week of suffering has finally paid off. But I don't like to do stuff like that. I want to write about people who are not me. And that's part of the fun. And I think part of why it works when I'm writing a book, I'm exploring this character's life. I don't want this life. No, I don't want to be any character in my books. My ideal day is give me some diamond art, give me a book and some hot chocolate, give me some cats and just leave me alone. I'm an introvert. I'm like, I'm going to get off this call and be like, 
I'm done for the next three weeks. Thank you. <laughs> Just to run and hide. It's like, where did my wife go? My husband will ask. Under the bed. <laughs> Quite possibly under the bed with the cats. But it's hard. And people are like, oh, yeah, be an author. It's easy. No, it's hard. And I'm, as you were mentioning before, I try to be honest about just about everything I do. Readers value that. They like when authors are honest with them. And if you are doing something like a subscription service, you need to be true to yourself. Because readers can smell bullshit 10 miles away. And if you feed people them- People are bullshit, very good at that. Yeah, if you feed them enough bullshit, they're going to think you're bullshit. So if you're going that route, be honest. Be frank with them. Don't lie. If you're not sure you're going to meet a deadline, just be honest about it. They're going to respect you saying an uncomfortable truth a lot more than they're going to respect you covering that you screwed something up. Just say you screwed something up. If you're going to go the subscription model, people like the personalities. If you can't carry off a personality, don't do it. Just be you because that's the easiest personality to show. And if your personality isn't able to go, let's do a Q and A. What do we got going on here? Let's be silly. Let's have a serious and frank discussion. Let's, if you can't do all of the moves, the readers are going to notice. If you're always perky and you never show that something's ever wrong, they're going to wonder. They're going to have questions and they're not going to think you're authentic. I only update them if something's going to change. Like recently on the per novel, I said, okay, I am changing to the charge posts. The charge posts will have the book copies available and the message will be sent with the book links at the same time the charge post happens. That means I'm not going to be pre-scheduling a charge post with no links and doing the extra stuff. It's just going to be charge post book. The book will file will vanish after two to three weeks. They know this going in because I don't, you can't just sign up and then get every book that's ever happened. I send messages and those messages expire after two to three weeks. The book files themselves are removed after three weeks. So that protects me from people who sign up wanting to get the whole backlog because that's a well-known problem in patreon the monthly users have the same three-week access they are also messaged with the book funnel link and it keeps piracy down now piracy is actually a big problem on patreon <laughs> found this out first time i did a book release i have a discord channel it's called fantasy worlds of rj blaine because that's my little go-to slogan thingy whatever because i can't write just one world what are you talking about and someone pirated the patreon copy to my discord that's not fun my friend katie who helps me run it was like are you fucking serious because she did it right in front of me and i'm yeah. like katie i don't know which buttons to hit can you make this person go away please and I made a very blunt post on the Patreon and on my website about it. And it hasn't happened since, which is good. But I had to set my foot down and go, okay, you either don't load it to pirate sites or you don't pirate it. And we keep going on or somebody else does it and we stop. And they chose to stop. 
which is good. But now I was going to give the book to them like several weeks in advance. They get it three to four days now because that just limits the chance of it hitting a pirate site before official release. So you need to go in aware that this does happen. And sometimes, yeah, it's a core reader who is giving your book away for free. And it was a very unwelcome <laughs> wake-up call. But that is a risk you take with Patreon. Has it ruined book sales for me? No. No. I have found with 500 roughly people who are getting the novels in advance, I may have taken a 200 reader hit in terms of sales. So there's 300 people on my Patreon roughly who are also buying on the vendor sites. Hmm. I keep telling them, don't do this, sweeties. Don't That's you do And they're like, but I want them in my series thing on Amazon. I'm like, okay, all right. I can't argue with that because I've done it myself. Like <laughs> I've literally, I'm on Patreon of some authors and I have very literally gone and bought the retail copy. So my series section is complete. There you have it. It happens. And yeah. you're going to be very confused about it because you're doing the Patreon to often save them money. Yeah. Give them that extra content. And then they will just do stuff like sign up for the per novel and the per month Patreons and then get confused. And you, you can't talk them out of it. So don't try. Just thank them. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Just thank them. Yeah. If you give them more ways to pay you. I have found they will take advantage of giving you extra money. But that's a core reader thing. If Patreon models work for you, you'll want to look into Kickstarters as well. Don't be like me and go, if we hit these benchmarks, I will add my entire backlist to these. Don't do that. I'm still trying. It was supposed to be 28 books going into print. It ended up being over 60. And that extended my delivery time by a year because it's a lot of design work. And... But if you're finding that you have a Patreon audience, you very probably have a Kickstarter audience as well. And you have a cat. This is Princess. Uh -huh. This is my girl. She's my little hi. girl. Hi. Hi. So and cute. yeah, she's a good girl. This is one of the writers. Yes, you have, to, you have to subscribe to get her writings. Yeah, she is very much feed me. Can I have some food now? Why have you not fed me? Mom, where's my food, Mom? It's not supposed to be fed in for 30 more minutes, but I'm hungry now, Mom. That was last night. That was last night. She was like, I want my food early, and she got it early. We're pushovers. <laughs> so what it does That's, is it removes financial stress. Yeah. And I'm very open about that. Like, this helps pay my bills. This pays most of my bills. And I use all the vendor money to keep writing and whatever profit I get is my take-home pay. But that Patreon pays my bills. And the, like, they know that this is how it works. The, the Patreon goes to pay my bills so I can keep writing. The vendor stuff is where I actually get to put money into retirement because I'm an author. I don't get a 401k or whatever they're called. I have to throw it in a savings account and pray I never get sick when I get old. Because I don't get any of the retirement benefits. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm leaning down because my cat wants to be pet. And she's under my lap desk. <laughs> she's a good girl. 
but she's very needy. She's like 16, 15, 16 years old now. So what she wants is she gets. That's how this household works. The cat rules it. We just live here. But the financials are hard as an author. It took three and a half, four years to start actually making profit. So everything before that was just investment. We took out of our savings account or extra money, or I worked editing books to earn, to be able to publish. And after the three and a half to four years, that's when I actually started making money. And it snowballed. It went from like my earnings bar goes like this. And then when I left KU, it went like this. And then it went like this and then like this. And then when I stopped publishing for a while, it goes down. Because <laughs> most authors, that three-week window I was talking about is real. And you will see it in your earnings. Go like, a month is like this. And then it just goes down. And nobody really warns you about that when you're going into it. New releases are your lifeblood, and it's very expensive to boost your old titles. I do a lot of old title boosting in low numbers because I can make profit off the book itself. So in that case, it's great advertising because anything that's a sell-through is extra profit. That's the way to go if you are on a very tight budget. ROI positive campaigns. Loss lead campaigns are like what you would do for a USA Today run. You invest like $20,000 expecting not to earn $20,000 back on a 99 cent sale. Contemporary romance, you can actually make profit on 99 cent sales. The romance genre is just voracious readers everywhere. My genre, not so much. It's very hard to do a 99 cent profit run. So I do loss lead campaigns. I know I can spend $10 a lead and make money afterwards. Yeah. So I'm playing the long game. Every time I do a sale like that, I'm hoping somebody may find my Patreon or I'm hoping that they'll just buy through the series and I make my money back that way. If you'd let go of my hand, Princess, you wouldn't have to hiss at me. She's holding my hand and is mad at me because I was having my hand near her. Welcome the cats. And now she doesn't have my hands because I, I want to preserve them. <laughs> But the money is weird in advertising for books. If you can do a loss lead campaign, what you are doing is you are gambling that you have written a good enough book that they want to buy the next book right away. That is the name of the game. If you're doing an ROI positive, like slow burn campaign, you are monitoring your sales for if your advertising is making immediate profit full price right away. So I do both styles. I find the full price campaigns are slower, but you're more likely to get the sell through. So they can make a lot of profit. It's very hard to ramp those up though. That's what the traditional market does. They are very much, we are gambling that we know that this book is good enough to sell at paperback prices. They advertise to the places that sell to readers who buy like that. So libraries, newspapers with the review sections, their mailing lists, which are very much rigged to get to the people who buy books, booksellers. So you won't see a whole lot of advertising from a traditional publisher that way. You 
won't go on to Facebook and see a traditionally published book getting a lot of ad traffic. You won't see a lot of sponsored ads. I can't remember the last time I saw a sponsored ad for a traditional book on Facebook. I don't remember the last time I saw it on Amazon either, because that's not where they're advertising. Indies don't have access to those venues very well, though. So we have to rely on things like Facebook, etc. Through Ingram Spark, you can get into the library system. And yes, those $80 plug ads absolutely work if you can go USA Today bestselling author. Because librarians look for that. Now, here's the thing. Librarians also look to confirm how you got your letters. So if they see you're only in an anthology, they're probably going to pass on ordering it from the, for the library. If they see you've been on there multiple times by yourself, they will buy the book for the library. New series are hit or miss on, but that is one of the tricks an indie can use to reach the traditional market, promoting your title through Ingram Spark. It is expensive yeah. and it is a gamble. You don't know how that librarian acquisitions librarian is going to look at your book. But if you have a good cover, you have a librarian friend you can ask, hey, if you were in acquisitions, how would you phrase the catch for Ingram Spark? I have leaned on a few librarian friends for that in the past, and it works. If you know a librarian and you are an author, ask for help. They will help you and tell you what sells a book because their job is literally to buy books for their patrons talk to them. Librarians are absolutely happy to help you. you. They may not buy your book from the library, but they will tell you what they look for. And that was one of the most helpful things I've ever done was go and just ask a librarian. Hmm. Um, make ask your librarian. Ask your local librarian. Ask if you see a random librarian on the internet, go, hey, do you have a minute? Can I talk to you about librarian stuff? They're usually happy to talk to you. They love books. They're not... If you love books and want to be a librarian, don't tell them in the interview that you love books and that's why you want to be a librarian. It's a good way to not become a librarian because librarians are a public service. Yes, books are involved, but librarians are a public service. Things you learn from your local librarian, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very strange world in the traditional sense. So if you want to get your books into libraries, talk to librarians. If you want to get your books into booksellers, you talk to the booksellers. Learn what they're looking for. It's not the same as what indies do to get their books sold on Amazon or any of the other vendors. And this is another reason why you were saying like your core readers cover the bills in a sense because of your subscriptions. That yep. is to have a relationship and have a space where your core readers supports you, no matter what happens on these platforms, because frankly, we don't control what happens in these platforms. We can't yeah. control that relationship with our readers. This has been, what a wide ranging conversation. Arda, this was so generous for you to share all of this with us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Where can we find you online? Where can people okay. listening find you online? TheSneakyKittyCritic.com is my blog. And that's where I funnel everything. And I recently opened a website called IFoundAStick.com. And I take pictures of sticks and write <laughs> about the sticks I find. And I have a whole queue of sticks I have to show up. But I'll decide, you know, screw it. I have this really nice camera and I like taking it on walks. And I keep finding really interesting sticks and pine cones and stupid little I love it. Like that. And so now I take pictures of sticks. 
I'm going to that website right now. That intrigues me. I want to see your sticks. One of the best sticks that I found was, I found this really cool log, right? And I'm like, shit, I can't find any lizards to take pictures of. And every time my husband would point out a lizard, a little shit would run off. And I wasn't able to get shots of the lizard. So I'm taking pictures of this really cool log. There was a lizard on the log and I didn't notice it. Yeah, sticks. The mother of sticks, specifically in that case. I had to fix my vlog because the pictures weren't showing on one of the posts. I'm like, oh no, my sticks are missing. I had to re-upload the photos. I know you're not a romance author, but if I must say, these are some beautiful stick pics. Thank you. <laughs> scroll down, you can see the lizard. And I didn't notice the lizard. My husband didn't notice the lizard. I get my camera home, take the memory card. I'm all sad because I have all these blurry pictures of lizards and I have this one decent shot, but he's framed by a bunch of leaves and all you can see is a little litter's eye. I'm like, well, shit. And then I'm looking at, oh, I'm, time to go through my sticks because I took a lot of pictures of sticks. And then, I love it. What the hell is on my stick? <laughs> lizard? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Perfect focus on the lizard. I didn't even see the lizard. My camera saw the lizard, though. And the camera must have focused on the lizard because it was just like, oh, okay, she obviously wants to take pictures of this, not the stick. And, and then I'm stomping around my apartment at that point going, fucking lizard. <laughs> it was hilarious because I was like, I was so sad. I hadn't gotten a picture of a lizard. And turns out I had gotten a picture of a lizard. I just hadn't known it. <laughs> And that was also the first day I ever took a good picture of a bird in flight. I so, love that. Wow. Um, yeah. I found a stick. That's what I a place. A, <laughs> I'll talk about just taking something mundane and running with it. Yeah. That's like what you could do with like your cats and your subscription. Like what? it's the same kind of thing. It's just beautiful. Th thank you so much, RJ, for all this. I had a great time. And I hope everyone listening did too. Thank you. And that was it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And this Ellen is one of many that we're uploading now. We've had a backlog of episodes from like the last couple months. So I've been uploading a lot of episodes to the feed. So if you're seeing a bunch of episodes at once, I am sorry. And we'll catch back up. And in the meantime, so grateful for all of you being here. The podcast has grown a lot. The community has grown a lot over the last year. And we're just so excited to double down and make it even better in 2024. So have an amazing rest of your day. Have a great time writing. And as always, don't forget, storytellers rule the world.